Welcome to the Future Financial Planners podcast, brought to you by the Financial Planning Association of Australia. Whether you're a student, a graduate, or an early career advisor, join us as we dive into the ins and outs of becoming a financial planner. I'm your host, Azaria Bell, bringing you tips from the experts on career strategy, sanity, and success. Today's episode is part two of our deep dive into the professional year. I'll be joined by Mitchell and Matthew from LBW Risk Advisors. Mitch has recently completed his professional year under the guidance of his supervisor, Matt, and today they'll be providing insights into what's involved in the day-to-day of doing a professional year, managing logbook requirements, the highs and lows of doing a professional year, and how you can find the right employer to start your professional year journey. There's so much more we talked about, so let's go right ahead. Hey, Mitch and Matt, thank you so much for joining us on the show. You're welcome. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Azara. Great to be here. So for anyone who hasn't heard you guys speak before, you've obviously spoken on some FPA webinars and been really helpful to a lot of people. But for those who may not have heard your voice before, could you give us a little introduction to who you are and what you do, starting with Matt? Sure. Thanks. So I'm an advisor, financial planner at LBW Business and Wealth Advisors in Geelong. Been there for about 10 years and uh, run the division of financial planners there. There's a team of about 12, including about four advisors. Been in the industry for around about 20 or so years, starting off obviously in in, um, administrative and power planning and working my way through. And we predominantly deal with clients that focus mainly around their retirement planning needs is probably our main client base. And uh, yeah, have been working with Mitch now for the last four years, which has been great. Awesome. And Mitch, what was your journey into financial planning like? Obviously, you've now finished your professional year. Um, so, so what does everything look like now? Um, so I originally started, um, when I went to university, I was just studying a straight law degree. Um, and about halfway through that, I was tossing up between finance or financial planning. Uh, and the decision for me was that I preferred to speak with people and have that one-on-one interaction as opposed to kind of working with businesses or, you know, all that sort of thing. So for me, I made the choice to uh, do the double degree in commerce and financial planning with with law. So a bit after that, I got a bit sick of my other job um, and I saw a posting for LBW online and they said, you know, obviously grads, it's a graduate position and I reached out to our HR manager and current HR manager and I asked if uh, my current experience was sufficient and she was um, very open to taking someone on. So from there I applied and um, obviously got the job and we've worked at LBW uh, first few years while I was still studying about four days a week or so. Um, And then from there moved on, kept working. Uh, When I started I was in a power planning position. We did a little bit of administration. We're, We're a much smaller team back then. I know Matt said we've got about 12 now. Back then we're about three to four. Um, so we have grown quite significantly over that time. Um, yeah, and then from there, I moved into my professional year about a year ago. Um, and along that time, also completed my Master's of Financial Planning, which I've just completed. So that was really good. Uh, and yeah, now just just kind of waiting for the PY uh, stuff to wrap up and onwards and upwards into a full advice position. So that'd be really exciting. Very good. Very busy couple of years by the sounds of it. So w- at what point did you decide that you were ready to start your professional year? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, well, when I was originally considering it, there wasn't a professional year around at that point. Um, and look, there was a bit of a conversation between me and Matt over a number of years. Um, you know, around my second year, I was kind of like, obviously, the power planning role and an advisor role are very different. 
and I needed to get the you know amount of experience acquired to kind of move up a little bit and, and and get that understanding. So for me, I was always pretty keen on doing financial planning because obviously that's why I wanted to be a financial planner from the start. And although I liked power planning, for me the the personal side was the most important part to me. So yeah, around that second year, Matt and I were having discussions around it, talking about you know um, what the next steps would look like, what I need to do to kind of move into that next role and we had those conversations and around the start of this start of last year sorry midway through last year uh, we felt that that was an appropriate time that you know my strategic um, understanding um, had developed uh, quite a ways and then from there it was mainly obviously did you experience the clients and build those soft skills up so at that point we decided it would be a really good time to um, undertake that. And for yourself Matt what did you know about the professional year before these conversations and what kind of considerations did you have when deciding to take on someone for a professional year? Yeah, well, as Mitch said, it was something reasonably new to our industry. Um, so to be honest, probably didn't have a huge grasp on what was involved, but being licensed through uh, Lonsdale, or our licensee, obviously knew they would provide us with a lot of support and any information that was required. And obviously, we'd done a little bit of work understanding about FASIA and their expectations and stuff like that. So I think the thing from our perspective was, uh, was Mitch ready to go through that? And also, was our business in a position to take him through it and have the need so that when he finishes that we've got the work for him to be an advisor and the answer to all those questions were yes so then off we went and got started but it does take a little bit of time um, through your licensee you know it doesn't all of a sudden start on a Monday and say let's do it it took us a couple of months to get the ball rolling it probably took more than that to be honest I think we started really focusing on it around about January and Feb of last year. And by the time it, you know, we lodged a few forms, etc., it was April, May. And then by the time you get to April, May, you're like, well, why don't we just start it from 1 July? So there was a little bit of um, lost time at the start, but you also consider what was going on in the world in the first half of last year. And I think we were happy just to kind of just push it back a bit to give us the right time. And I think it worked out the best um, for all at this point. Yeah. It's a bit of lost time at the end too, so we're still going through like the final steps yeah. now, of course, as well. So obviously, yeah. I finished my um, timesheet requirements and my meetings and things like that. But um, from here, obviously, there are still steps going forward on the on the um, licensee's end where they've got to kind of finalise everything, tick the boxes, and uh, a few of those little jobs which are still in the process of being done. Mm. Yes, I would. I would suggest one of the things I would give if we were going to give any feedback to our licensee would be around the timeframes at the start and the end. Just feel a little bit too long. I think some of those things could probably be tackled as we're going through the year rather than getting all our ducks lined up at the start and then jumping in. That much. Also, I think, to be fair, though, this is an early stage of the process for Lonsdale um, and they'd only had a few people go through this as well, so maybe they're refining their processes. Yeah, I think that's a pretty common story across all licensees. We're all trying to figure it out as we go at the moment. Yeah. So because it can be quite a lengthy process and quite complicated, um, I imagine there are a lot of maybe financial planning practices out there who haven't gone through the professional year and they're not quite sure um, what it involves. So for yourself, Mitch, would you have any tips to people that are looking to start the professional year, how they can make that process easier for their supervisor and for their licensee? Well, that's a really good question. Um, I would say be enthusiastic and, and, and be prepared. So, for example, there are a lot of documents and things you need to read and, you know, Matt's a busy guy and, and he's got a lot of work to do, obviously, running the FP division. So, a lot of times for us, it'd be easy for me to read through the documentation. You'd skim through it, of course, and have a bit of a look, but then I can come to him and say, Matt, here are the boxes that we need to tick. 
um, let's develop a plan or whatever it might be to tick these boxes and we can go from there and then we can run through those things together. So I think it made it a bit easier and a bit less time consuming for Matt. Because I, I think I think from a PY perspective, you've got to understand that there needs to be a business case, which I know Matt touched on before. And, you know, it's, that's training for you the business is putting resources into. So the less time and capital intensive it is for the business, the more chance they are that they are going to provide you with your professional, your opportunity. So if you can kind of take a lead a little bit and be around what needs to be done, um, that kind of takes the pressure off everyone a little bit more. And you can kind of, and again, like once it becomes a bit more known, you can kind of ask some questions that you might be curious about at the start and, and through throughout the journey. So then you're kind of saving time at the start and the end without kind of fumbling around what needs to be done. So that'd be what I would suggest. Yeah, I remember when I first approached an employer who I was looking to work for and I really wanted to make sure that they knew I wanted to do that professional year. Um, I actually wrote out a, a full plan of this is what each quarter looks like because for a lot of people they haven't read through the guidance on what a professional year is. So I, I totally agree with you, Mitch. If you can, if the individual can do as much of the work to understand the process themselves and then communicate that to your employer, that's a lot easier because employers have a lot going on as it is at the moment. And Matt, could you talk to me a little bit about what clients need to know when you actually employ someone to go through their professional year? Do you need to make them aware of that fact? I don't believe so. I mean, when when we uh, commenced the process with Mitch, we didn't really have to um, inform our clients the first half of the, the first two quarters. A lot of Mitch's work was a little bit more behind the scenes. Um, so obviously he was tracking his hours and, and maintaining the all the um, data that he had to um, for all the work that he was doing and logging all that. Uh, so for the first six months, I would say not really. But then um, once we got into the second six months and Mitch had passed his the fascia exam, which was the trigger for him to start quarter three, then not long after that, he was able to be registered as an advisor with our licensee. And then that was when things started to change a little bit more, whereby if he was going to um, attend a meeting um, and potentially run that meeting, then we would have to notify the clients a little bit more around how he needed to know, how they needed to know, sorry, um, some of those specific requirements such as or Mitch can probably expand on that, but we had to provide a letter to them um, when we would meet with them explaining some of the key things. So maybe we'll talk about that in a moment. But outside that, um, probably wasn't too um, big an impact. But I think also for us, it was then saying, okay, which clients is Mitch going to be involved with? So was he going to be involved with some of our um, existing clients? Maybe, but not much. It was more for us, perhaps with a few of the newer clients that were coming through the door that we said, okay, would this be a client that would be suitable for someone like Mitch with me um, kind of sitting in the background working with him? If that was the case, then yes, that would be one that we would you know, introduce Mitch to and, and take it from there. And I'd probably just say too, in the first two quarters, you know, I basically supervised the meetings that Matt ran. Um, they might have been with existing clients or new clients, whatever, whatever it would be. Um, but, but in those situations, obviously, we still let them know that I was in a professional year. Or, but, but I mean, to be honest, last time we just went in, didn't we, Matt, and just said, hi, you know, is it okay if Mitch sits in on this meeting? He's just, you know, doing some training, preparing to become an advisor. And pretty much every time the, the client was really open to that and they didn't mind too much at all. So we kind of, I think that's probably the best way if you're trying to get yourself into those meetings is just, you know, you don't need to set it up to make it this big scary thing in the first two quarters just say hey i'm here to learn um is it okay if you know so and so sits in and then the clients almost always will be receptive and say yes unless you know they really don't want you to so 
That's excellent. And could you talk to me a little bit about what goes into that letter that you provide to the clients? Did you have a template or how did you manage that? Yeah, yeah, we, we did have a bit yeah. of a template. We um, did have a template. Now, I can't remember exactly what's in it, Mitch, but Mitch was able to personalise that a little bit, with, which included a lot of his um, his studies and things like that. But I think it was just more to cover off the fact that Mitch was in his professional year and and we just needed to make them aware of it. Our licensee wanted to make them aware of it. So I'm not too sure if it was a – was it a fascia requirement, Mitch, or a Lonsdale requirement that I'm not so too sure a- about? Fascia, I'm fairly certain. Um, yeah. So the letter typically, well, what we were given from our licensee, um, again, because it was quite new, it was quite basic and a bit, I want to say, like sterile and just boring. Like it was, when we got it, we kind of looked at it and said, well, we're not particularly happy about providing this to our clients in the current form. Um, and of course, there's things in there that I think Fascia State needs to be in there. You know, you need to say that, you know, I was going, you know, um, going through my professional year and things like that. I had to have Matt's details as my supervisor down there and some contact information for him. Um, just some general things like that. Um, and again, our licensee had all the mandatory stuff in there, but it was just a matter of personalising that a little bit more to make it a bit more client-friendly. And, you know, you don't want to kind of just give a client something which just says, hey, here's this person. They seem a little bit incompetent because they're learning for they're going to be running with the show from now on. So it's a matter of kind of personalising that a little bit and making it a bit more um, personable for the client just to say, hey, Here's this person, um, we kind of tailored it to say, you know, I've had some experience and I've, you know, I've done this for a little while with Matt, worked in the in the background. So um, this is just kind of the next step. And that's kind of how we positioned it. And I think clients are a bit more receptive that way to that letter. And speaking of resources, there's obviously a few different documents and templates that you need to use throughout your professional year. So in the last episode, I spoke to Jemima um, and we got a really good overview of what's involved in each of the quarters, but it's a different story to actually put that into practice. So what are some of the resources or templates that you might have used on a daily basis, Mitch, and, and where did you find those? Our loss was really good in that regard and provided us with basically everything we needed. Um, of course, the main thing that you touch on daily is going to be your, your logbook and your timesheets. So we just had, I, I know the FPA does have a, um, a version of that as well. Uh, I've heard about that. That kind of came towards the end of my professional year. I've heard about that. But I mean, our one was really basic um, from our license. It was literally an Excel document. Um, we just put in, you know, for example, the, the date, um, the time, the client and you know the details of the meeting and things like that it was quite time consuming um the one that i used i would say that's probably something i would, I would, I would probably really encourage either licensees or businesses or even professional year candidates to look at it's just you know see what's out there before you start maybe don't just adopt your licensees one see if there's something that might be a bit less time consuming and see if you can discuss that with your licensee and, and, and i know that i've spoken to a person at lonsdale uh lonsdale who's been helping with the professional year program and you know they're, they're really receptive to feedback and obviously it's only a first couple few people have gone through it at lonsdale so they're really interested in my feedback on how to make it a bit more you know a bit less time consuming a bit more user friendly so i mean that's the biggest one is the timesheet um and then there are other things too so usually see was really good and they sent out a document that explained um the requirements for quarter one quarter two and quarter threes and four when it got to those stages. So quarter one, they sent me a document saying, here's quarter one, here are the, opportunity, here are the things that you need to hit. Um, and then at the end, there's like some reflection articles and things like that. So to be honest, they were the main, article, they were the main resources that I used. Uh, I didn't really use much else. Um, typically, it's just the timesheet and then discussions with your supervisor is kind of like the other main one. So usually after a meeting, Matt and I would debrief and have a bit of a discussion. And that's where I feel like most of my learning development came from. And if I could just add to that, I suppose the only other thing was mixed in at the end of the quarter, we would 
complete a few extra forms to say he's done the quarter and that gave us a chance to talk through a few areas of strengths, um, areas that he's improved and any gaps that we felt that he needed to focus on for the next quarter. Excellent. And now I know that when the professional year first came into play, there was a bit of confusion about templates and where to get them from. But thankfully now the FBA does have some templates which are available on the website. I'll leave the link to those in the show notes for anyone interested. Um, and FASIA have now also released their own version of those templates, which is really, really helpful as well. But what I'm curious to know, Mitch, for myself personally going through the professional year now is how did you manage that logbook on a daily basis? Was it something that you'd be adding to daily at the end of the week? What was the most practical way to manage that for you? Um, yeah, really good question. Uh, it varied a little bit. I would not be leaving until the end of the week just because I have a very goldfish memory and I would not remember what I did on Monday on Friday. So for me, usually, I mean, I think it's almost impossible to do it on a minute-by-minute, minute, you know, six-minute block basis. I always did it by half hours um, just because anything over that, you know, I just really struggled to find the time to be able to input that, the information in. So for me, I would either do it whenever I got a chance. So if I just, for example, finished an SOI, I'd say, okay, well, all day yesterday and half of today was doing an SOA. If it was doing something more like a couple, you know, a bunch of client calls, I'll do all those client calls and then input them. Um, so I, I'd usually do it at the end of a task if I had the chance, or if I was just really flat out, I'd wait till the end of the day and then kind of go back and say, well, this is what I did where. Um, so it's all, I guess, about managing time and trying to find time to do it. And it can be really challenging depending on the type of, type of work you do. Again, the first two quarters, I found it quite, straightforward um, you'd have your client meetings you just put in client meetings in there and your things like your, your, your statements of advice or whatever other jobs you're doing the second the second six months um, gets a lot more difficult I think just because you you know you might be calling more clients you might be in far more client meetings than you were previously and things like that there might be a lot more little ad hoc ad hoc jobs which was the case for me anyway mm. yeah Mitch was definitely touching a lot more files in the second six months which meant yeah probably more client contact and therefore more entries whereas the first half was probably probably more SOA based, which, you know, longer period of time, but that's just from my observation, of course. Yeah, for sure. So it sounds like it was quite hands-on for you, Mitch, as the PY applicant, but for yourself, Matt, what level of involvement does the supervisor have? What, what were the kind of things that you were doing to help Mitch out through the process? So I probably wasn't involved much with the, the work log or spreadsheet um, in that, leave that to Mitch to enter. But um, obviously we were checking that on a regular basis just to make sure that he was getting his hours up and Mitch was always keeping me up to date with saying I've got to get this many hours for this quarter and and often he would get them up uh, the hours up within a certain period of time like before the end of the quarter so therefore it kind of gave us a bit of leeway to say okay well what about then this week we'll sign all the forms and then we'll get them off and then we've ticked off quarter one and off we go again for quarter two so that was I suppose that side of it but then I think what it did was the forms also prompted a, a conversation along the way. So, you know, at the end of a quarter, um, as I said uh, a few minutes ago, it might say, say some of the things Lonzo would ask, what are some of the things that Mitch has improved on and what are some of his areas? And I think we'd be doing that along the way through the meetings. You know, we'd get out of a meeting and I'd say to Mitch, oh, you did a really good job there explaining this part. But I think next time we need to focus on fees a little bit more. And, and this is how I would do it. Um, and so I think that we just try and pick up pieces along the way. And that's where I've seen Mitch's development come along is that, yes, he's now far more confident covering off on a broader range of issues um, than he was at the start. So and I think that just comes with experience. I would like, um, and this is just from our own firm, 
in hindsight, I probably would like the other advisors to perhaps pick up and run a little bit more with Mitch on this. Obviously, I'm his mentor and I'm probably the one signing off on things, but um, given the other senior advisors in our business, probably would have liked them to be involved a little bit more um, just to spread the load because um, I don't think you realise the time involved with when you're working with someone like this. I mean, it's great that Mitch can pick up and do some of the SOAs for me, of course, but, you know, at meetings, we'd still have an extra 10 minutes beforehand and probably 20 minutes afterwards where we talk through the issues and then, you know, and then there'd be a few other bits and pieces. So there is a bit of time that um, is lost um, from uh, productivity, but obviously it's, it's helping Mitch and, and his learnings, which is always good. But I just think it'd be good for him also to gain that experience by watching and working with other advisors. Not all firms have that capacity though, do they? So that's always going to be a challenge, but then that's just the way that uh, certain businesses work. I just want to continue with that too, because I mean, yeah, I, I think, and this is probably something you're going to bring up a bit later, Azaria, but I think that that's probably one of my key takeaways if you're a professional year candidate. I think the more advisors you can work with, the better. And, you know, although I did spend the majority of my time with Matt, I did have the ability to work with, um, you know, the other two advisors in our firm and, and work pretty close with them and go into some meetings and see the way that they do things. Um, and I would say if you have the ability to do that, I would highly recommend it. So I know I've spoken to some other professional year candidates that have that have finished off. And I, I know one of them, for example, uh, he he's a very introverted individual and his um, professional, he, his supervisor is very extroverted. So for him, it's been really tricky um, a little bit kind of moving into that uh, third and fourth quarter because he can't necessarily communicate as, in the same manner that uh, his supervisor would. So it can be quite tricky for him because he's looking, but he, he's seeing, what is your supervisor? He's saying, well, I can't really match the high um, the high tempo that you match. I can't match you know, the, the excitement that you go into these certain um, documents and the way you explain the things. And I think the more individuals you're exposed to or the more advisors you're exposed to, you learn everyone's, I mean, everyone does things differently. Like, um, you know, we've got advisors that are um, more affirmative in our, our business, um, you know, some that are a lot more calm and relaxed, some that are a lot more friendly and um, trying to have like a conversation. There's, there's all different types. And I think the last thing you want is a business. And this is just my reflection. Matt might, might, Matt might have a completely different view, but I think the last thing you want in a professional, in your professional year candidate is someone who's just going to mirror the existing advisor. I don't think that that's the goal. And I don't think that's what you should be aiming for. I think you should be aiming to provide your professional year candidate with as much experience to as many different advisors as you can to try and get the best bits from all of them. And then they can try and figure out what style works best for them so they can be most effective to their clients. Um, and I think that's really important. And I think that if you're in that situation, that should be definitely something that you look to do if possible. Is there anything else you would have done pr differently while completing the professional year for either yourself, Mitch or Matt? Yeah, that's a bit of a tricky one. Uh, Again, seeing more advisors, again, I, I did have the opportunity to work with one of the other advisors quite a bit, but then the third advisor, you know, I only, I only spent a bit of time with um, not as much as I probably would have liked, which, again, it's another set of experience in, uh, there that I can kind of learn from their conversation style with clients. Um, so for me, um, look, to be honest, not particularly. I think I got a lot out of it that I wanted to get out of it. Again, more experience is always better. Yeah, but I, I was quite happy, and especially around the end, I, I was seeing a lot more clients as well. So um even if I was still supervising, you know, Matt in those meetings kind of thing, like I was watching him do them, even if I was running the meetings myself, that was still experience that I was getting. So, yeah, um, yeah, I was quite happy with what I had done. And, yeah, I, I would say it's pretty thorough, the requirements from Vassia. So, yeah, I don't think there was much else that I, off the top of my head, can think that um, I really would have liked to do. 
I think the only thing for me was um, my focus initially was just on the first two quarters because I thought, well, I'm not going to look to quarter three at this stage. It was so early. And given that Mitch had to pass an exam, um, you know, there was a big hurdle for him to overcome to get to quarter three. So, you know, we didn't really have to worry about that. But once he passed his exam, um, then we could focus on quarter three and four. And we kind of treated them almost together. Um, Lonsdale didn't really distinguish much between the two as they did in the first two quarters. For me, I think the only area I probably would like to have um, maybe done a bit better is planning for some of the meetings a little bit more so that Mitch had um, the right opportunity to meet all his requirements. Because we were getting to the end and, you know, Mitch is kind of saying, oh, would this meeting count? Yes, it should. You know, um, we're required to do this many types of meetings that I'm meant to present my letter and, and, and provide advice and things like that. So um, perhaps just having a little bit more time um, to meet some of those requirements. But again, I also think that our licensee probably could have been a little bit clearer in their expectations in that space as well. Um, we were sitting there looking at each other going, well, does this count as a as a meeting or one of these 10 that you need to do or one of these 12, et cetera? And we'd look at each other and go, well, we think it does. Perhaps we should have chased it up. But I mean, we were pretty comfortable that it did, but we perhaps at times could have got a little bit more clarity. Yeah. And you touched just then on the exam that, that Mitch had to do. So Mitch, I imagine that that's something you would have had to have planned for when you started the professional year, because it's not like there is an exam sitting every month. It's something that can only come every three months. And once you'd completed that exam and then you could have meetings with clients, one of the questions I have that I hear a lot of confusion about is, what does it mean to have an unsupervised meeting? Does that mean that after your exam, you were able to have one-on-one -on -one meetings with the clients or were they still supervised? Yeah, no, that's a really good question. And that's one of the um, the things that Matt was kind of touching on there that we had a bit of confusion around and we weren't 100% sure and we spoke to our licensee around that um, because, of course, you know, for for us initially we thought, well, supervised, you know, unsupervised simply just means unsupervised. So, you know, if you pass your exam, you can run that meeting all by yourself. And, you know, that seems to be the thing that a lot of people have been thinking as well because that's on the face of it that's kind of what it means um so in certain instances i definitely did that so for example um implementation meetings and things like that with with clients that i had a lot of um handle on i, I kind of ran those meetings and i was quite comfortable to do that and i was quite comfortable to run the other ones myself as well but um for example i did a lot of meetings not just with new clients but maybe some existing clients as well where uh it would be very strange for me to go into those meetings and then they start running them even though it's someone else's client um, so in those situations of course I was supervised and I could run those meetings and they would have their like two cents at the start say hello Mitchell you know have a bit of a discussion this point here and things like that so for us we, we did a lot of it still in quotation marks supervised even though you know I'd go in and I'd kind of run the whole meeting Matt might chip in here and there if he needed to say anything but more of the, most of the time he just kind of sat there um, kind of taking notes making sure I was hitting the right keys, hitting the right notes and things like that. And he was, um, you know, that, that, and I think you kind of need to do that a little bit because at the end you still need to get that feedback cycle um, and to know, because I mean, it's not like you pass your FASIO exam and then instantly you're the best advisor the world's ever seen and there's no improvements you can make. I mean, there's always things you can do better and um, self-reflection self is very important. That's something I guess we'll talk about a bit later, but I think having someone there is a bit more impartial and has had that experience can always help. Um, so again, yeah, we reached out to our, our uh, licensee and they said, well, look, if you're pretty much running the entire meeting and it's just the advisor sitting there taking notes, then like we're pretty comfortable that's still unsupervised by that definition. And um, I forgot who we spoke to from from Fascia um, in one of our FPA kind of presentations, our webinars, and, and she, you know, helped 
right up for the professional year and, and she had the same view as well so she said you know when when we were designing it as from Fasia's point of view that 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 they still envisioned it as you know supervised unsupervision if that makes sense so it was still the mm -hmm. advisor was still in the meeting the majority of the time or in you know most of the meetings so there's still that room to progress so that's kind of the the view that we took i think also on that we've also got to consider the client and um you know we run a business and we have a lot of um you know, good quality clients and we don't want to just uh, kind of handball a client onto someone else without you know an official handover and being involved and letting them know that we're still there so um, I think the firms but all the uh, the businesses out there that are um, doing this I'm sure they'd be handling it the right way so but there's still an important factor. Yeah I imagine that would have been perhaps new territory for you Matt to to get through having someone else take those meetings for you. What kind of things have you learned personally um, through the professional year process? Yeah, well, it's been good. Um, the process overall has been good. It's, it's obviously a little bit more time consuming than maybe what we thought at the start, but I think that's probably like most things. Everything takes a little bit longer than what we expect. And then when you finish, you probably go, oh, it wasn't too bad, but I think um, probably a little bit more time. But, um, you know, and Mitch has come along come a long way with his um, his skill set, whether it be his technical skills or his soft skills, the two areas that he probably was always going to you know, be building over this period of time. But for me, it's been great to have now knowing that we're going to have another um, advisor in our team. And so now we're focusing on transitioning some of our clients across to Mitch, um, which will be great. And that's always um, an interesting conversation with a client because they, um, you know, they build a relationship with the firm and or with myself. Um, so to pass that relationship on is an important thing. And we know that Mitch will do a good job of it, but it's, it's just a new relationship and the clients hopefully will be comfortable with it. But, you know, Mitch's enthusiasm will be a really good thing and they'll appreciate um, that. But remembering also many of these clients, their portfolios are well established and their situations probably um, are in a good position. Therefore, there's not a lot of need for change, maybe just a different voice across the and different face across the table. Amazing. Well, it sounds like you guys have done a really good job of executing the professional year. So my final question would be, how can you maximise the value you get from the professional year? Uh, maximise the value. For, well, for me, I think it would be if you have the ability to spread the workload around across the different advisors. Um, one, because it because, you know, when you think of an advisor, traditionally, they're not sitting there twiddling their thumbs waiting for work to come in and then all of a sudden say, oh, yeah, I've got all this extra time to, to work with um, their professional year student. So um, for me, it would be spread the load. Um, and that also helps um, the candidate, doesn't it, because they can then learn from different people. Um, but knowing that, you know, there is a, a fairly decent time commitment involved that the firm and myself have committed to Mitch. And so we, you know, our aim is, though, that we hope we get, we get rewarded for that by, you know, longevity in the job and um, good quality work and help us grow our business, you know, over the next, say, you know, two years or so, just using that as a, a short to medium term time frame. So, um, a lot of good things um, and it's been a bit of a really good learning experience and it probably means it gives us the capacity to do it again one day down the track with the, the next person in our firm that might be the, the right type of candidate and also assuming the business has the need for one. Yeah and I would say from my point of view and I touched on this just a second ago too if you're a professional year candidate um, I would say don't just rely on your advisor to give you all the feedback you need you should 
if you really want to get the you know kind of the best out of it and really maximize your potential you need to do some self-reflection too i think that's really important so you know for example um after the meetings you know matt and i would have that 15 20 minute conversation or whatever it might be just discussing you know what went well what could be done better and then from there you know i might go back to my desk and, and write up the file note or um you know just move on to an SOA and it's kind of be in my mind a little bit just thinking okay yeah okay well, well I'm pretty happy with how that went but you know next time you know that thing that I didn't do so well how, how can I make that better next time how can I can how can I position it what can I do to make sure that that's better next time and then I don't know if something Matt noticed but each time I'd go into the next meeting I, you know I kind of would have refined and thought about how I can work on that thing that, I, that we spoke about and by doing that you know every time I was just improving bit by bit and then I know I got to a point where you know Probably at the end of my second year, started my th my third quarter. It was kind of a thing where you know, if I worked between the different advisors, I'd all have feedback. But their feedback was a lot of the time just things that they each do differently, not like something that you really need to do. It's like, well, I prefer doing it this way. You know, having this more kind of professional approach or this more kind of soft, you know, personal approach where you know they're kind of a little bit different and it's just their own little touches. And I kind of I, I'm really grateful for the opportunity I was given, especially to work with multiple advisors because I got to take parts out of. You know, each of them, I think they all do really, really well and, and kind of build that into my style and, and kind of have like a little bit of a hybrid approach, which I'm really comfortable with. Um, so, yeah, that's what I would suggest is maybe just make sure you reflect on the meetings and what you've done and, um, you know, try and build on that in the future. Excellent. Well, thank you both so much. These have been such great tips and insights into how a professional year actually works in practice. So just want to say thank you so much and we really appreciate your time. Thanks, Zara. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Future Financial Planners podcast, brought to you by the Financial Planning Association of Australia. For great resources and a free student membership, find us at fba.com.au. Good advice makes for great futures.